You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the weekly Parsha Review. My name is Rabbi Arya Wolby, and this week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayichi. It is the 12th and final portion in the book of Genesis, in the book of Bereshis. There are 85 verses in this week's Parsha. 1,158 words and 4,448 letters. Not an extra word, not an extra letter, not an extra verse. There are no mitzvahs, not performative or prohibitions. And the Parsha begins with a promise. After 17 years in Egypt, Yaakov senses that his days on earth are ending. And he summons Yosef, the viceroy, to come be with him. Yaakov makes Yosef swear to bury him in Hebron with his parents in the cave of Machpelah. You remember Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and now Jacob wants to be buried there as well, and he wants Yosef to promise that he will be buried there. And Yaakov falls ill, and we'll see soon. We mentioned last week that Yaakov asked to become ill prior to death. We'll see soon what that means and why that's such a gift. But Yaakov falls ill, and Yosef brings Menashe and Ephraim to their grandfather. Yaakov kisses and hugs them. As Yaakov is blind from old age, Yosef leads his sons close. Yaakov blesses Ephraim and Menashe. Till now, we've been saying Menashe and Ephraim because Menashe was older. But Yaakov blesses Ephraim before Menashe. They will each become tribes like Yaakov's sons. He had not thought to see his son Yosef again, let alone Yosef's children. This was a huge gift to Yaakov that he was able to see his son Yosef and his grandchildren. Yaakov summons the rest of his sons in order to bless them. Yaakov's blessings reflects the unique character of each tribe, directing each in its mission in serving Hashem. Reuven, you acted too quickly, you were impulsive. You can't get the kahuna, you can't get the priesthood, not kingship. You can't do that if you're impulsive. And you're not getting a double portion. Instead, it's going to go to Yosef. Shimon and Levi, you guys cause problems. Remember Shechem, you remember Yosef. Shimon will settle in the middle of Yehuda's territory. Levi won't inherit land at all. Instead, They'll be the teachers and be scattered about around Eretz Yisrael, around the land of Israel. Yehuda is a lion cub to be lion king. Leadership qualities that Yehuda has. The sale of Yosef uh, instead of killing him. Binyamin's prison exchange. The first in marching in the desert and the battles of Canaan. Nachshon, who was the first one to go into the sea when Moshe said that the sea is going to split. He was from the tribe of Yehuda. Betzalel who was the architect of the, of the tabernacle, was also from the tribe of Yehuda. The head of the Nesim, the first judge, Asniel Bekanaz, was from the tribe of Yehuda. King David and Mashiach will come from the tribe of Yehuda. So Yehuda has the tribe of leadership. Also, by the way, if you're not a Kohen or a Levi, then you come from the tribe of Yehuda. We are all from the tribe of Yehuda, unless we're a Kohen and Levi, and then we come from the tribe of Levi. Yaakov blesses Yehuda's mountainous land with vines and succulent grapes, fields filled with grains, pastures crowded with sheep. Zevulun is a merchant by the sea and will partner with Yisachar in their Torah. 
We'll see what that means. The Yisachar Zavulin partnership is very important because Zavulin says, look, we're not going to have a chance to sit in the study halls and learn Torah. We're busy merchants. They lived next to the ports. That's where their inheritance of the land was. And they needed to get some merit of Torah study. So they go to Yisachar and you say, Yisachar, let's make a 50-50 partnership. We will give you 50% of our income, but you have to give us 50% of the merit of your Torah study. This is, by the way, what people do today. Many people who are involved, immersed completely in business, they don't have the opportunity to learn Torah. So they say, let's find a Torah scholar. We'll give him 50% of our earnings. He gives us 50% of his Torah. You've got to find a scholar who's ready to give up 50% of his merit in the world to come. But still, Yisachar learns Torah. And many will serve on the Sanhedrin court. There were scholars. Dan is sly like a snake, and he will protect Israel from behind. Shimshon comes from the tribe of Dan, Samson, and will be a descendant who uses cunning tactics to protect the Jewish people. God, God are strong fighters and will receive the land in Jordan. They're going to fight. It's probably going to be part of the agreement we'll see later. When they say, we don't want to enter the land of Israel, we want to keep our portion in the Jordan. And Moshe makes an agreement with them. You can keep the land in Jordan, but you got to come fight with us when we conquer the land of Israel. And when we're done conquering the land of Israel, then you can go back and take your inherited land in the Transjordan region. Asher, many olives will be growing in their land and their oils will light the menorah. Naphtali is a doe, swift as a deer. Their crops will grow fast and they will run very fast. Yosef, Ephraim and Menashe are the double portion from Yaakov and Binyamin will be peaceful. He was not part of the sale of Joseph and therefore the base Hamigdash, the holy temple, will be built in the portion of Benjamin. Jerusalem is the portion of Benjamin. Fierce like a wolf that catches and runs, King Saul, King Saul ruled very briefly as well. And then we have the story of Yaakov's death. Yaakov passes away at 147 years old. Yosef cries and mourns his father, as do his brothers and all of the people of the land of Egypt. Yosef keeps his promise and with a tremendous procession brings his father, Yaakov, from Egypt to his resting place in the cave of Machpelah in Hebron. After Yaakov's passing, the brothers are concerned that Yosef will now take revenge of them, and they thought that their only protection was because their father was still alive, so Yosef would never do that in front of his father. But Yosef reassures and comforts them, even promising to support them and their families to show an overwhelming sign of love for them. Yosef lives out the rest of his years in Egypt, seeing Ephraim's great-grandchildren, so his great-great-grandchildren. And before his death, Yosef foretells to his brothers that God will redeem them from Egypt, gives them a sign of encouragement, and he makes them swear to bring his bones out of Egypt with them at that time. Yosef passes away at the age of 110, and is embalmed, and thus ends the Sefer of Bereshis, the first book of the Torah, Genesis, and Chazak, Chazak, Vinit Chazek. We should be strong and stronger and continue to get strengthened in our study of Torah. Let's look very quickly 
at some of the important lessons that we see in this week's parsha. Number one is Yaakov's burial in Hebron. Why doesn't Yaakov just get buried in Egypt? And just like Yosef, when the Jewish people get out of Egypt, then they'll bring his bones, they'll bring his body to be buried in the land of Israel. So there are three reasons that Yaakov did not want to be buried in Egypt. The first is that the plagues were going to come to Egypt and they were going to plague the land of Egypt and the land will be filled with lice. And Yaakov didn't want to be afflicted with that plague. Additionally, is that he'll be made out into an idol. And all the idols in Egypt will be destroyed. He didn't want that either. And Yaakov wanted to be the first to rise in in the resurrection of the dead. Our sages teach us that after the coming of Messiah, there will be also a resurrection of the dead where all of those who were deceased are going to come back to life. And in fact, if the, the verse in Psalms that says, Az rina, Then, when is then? At the time of the resurrection, our mouths will be filled with laughter and our lives filled with joy. What's going to happen? What happens if someone passed away at the age of 30? When they're resurrected, they'll be resurrected as a 30-year-old. Someone who's resurrect, who, who passes away as 118 will be resurrected as a 118-year-old. And everyone's going to be strong and healthy. But imagine if a father passed away at a young age. A 35-year-old passes away. And his children way outlive him and they pass away at 85 years old. And the father is going to be a young guy. The children are going to be older. And they're going to get, they, they're going to get up at the resurrection and they're going to be like, you're my son? That's the most incredible thing. And people are going to be filled with laughter and there's going to be so much joy in the streets. Can you believe it? All of those who deceased at a young age or at an older age, we miss them. And hopefully we'll, we will all be reunited, we hope and pray. Every single day we pray in our Amidah for that resurrection. It's the second blessing of the Amidah. God will bring those who are deceased back to life. Now I want to include in here a very important, vital message to everyone. If you know anyone who wants or is thinking of cremating after they pass from this world, urge them not to do so. There is nothing more cruel to a soul that lived this life than to cremate the body. Because at the time of resurrection, our sages tell us, there's not going to be a body for that soul to be rejoined with. And that's going to be very, very painful for the soul. So it's important. Burial is what Hashem wants us to do. Burial is what the Torah commands us to do. And cremation is a terrible, terrible thing. Just by the way, it is the worst thing for the environment. So for those who are saying, well, you know, burial is not good for the environment and you have the, uh, yeah, the environmentalists should be pushing burial, not cremation. The, the, the fumes and the, the, the terrible, terrible things that come to this world from a, a corpse being burnt is really, really devastating. But if for the only reason of doing the will of Hashem, 
Yaakov davened for illness. Why? So that it be a notice for impending death. It used to be that people would just sneeze and die, which is why we say gesundheit. We say so gesund. We say bless you. We say nazdarovia salu. Why do we say that? Because it used to be that when someone sneezed, they were dead. They're finished. Their soul departed their body, and that was it. Yaakov changed that. And Yaakov prayed. He says, Hashem, before someone dies, give them the opportunity to repent. Give them the opportunity to make amends. If I know that I'm ill, I know that I'm about to die. And this is a great time to reflect. Bring my family together. Everyone come around. Let me make amends, and use this as an opportunity for teshuva, for repentance. So Yaakov asked for that as a special sign of mercy. People say, oh, that's, that, that's terrible. Oh, someone's ill. Why is there illness? The illness is, a, is a, a prophecy almost telling us it's time to reconcile. It's time to work things out because the time may not be long. Yaakov blesses Ephraim and Menashe, and it's such an amazing thing. It says, The Jewish people forever will bless their children by you, Ephraim and Menashe. Do you know when we bless our children, the blessing starts, Hashem should make you like Ephraim and Menashe. Who were Ephraim and Menashe? Shouldn't they be like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Shouldn't they be like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah? Why does the Torah say specifically that when we are going to bless our children forever, for eternity, we're always going to bless them by Ephraim and Menashe? Sages tell us something so vitally important. Ephraim and Menashe, where did they learn? Where did they grow up? They grew up in Egypt. They didn't have a yeshiva system. They didn't have a base Yaakov girls school. They didn't have all of the luxuries of a Jewish community. They didn't even have a synagogue of a minion of people. And yet, they grew up to be righteous Torah scholars. They grew up to be observant, fully committed Jews. So no matter if you grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, or Memphis, Tennessee, or in Argentina, or in Mexico City, or any place else in the world, don't forget that you have something in common with Ephraim and Menashe who grew up in Egypt which was the land of materialism, which was the land of living for living alone. There was no death. There was no world to come. There was the, it was all about eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you'll die. That's it. You live for here. Ephraim and Menashe lived exactly the other way of life. No, we're living for a higher purpose. This is not the end game. This is the investment part of it. Over here, we invest to do our mitzvahs. Over here, we invest to build our relationship with God through all of the challenges, the trials, the tribulations. This is just a very short, small, little stay, a stint. We come here 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90, 100 years, 110, 120. Hopefully, we all live to 120 in good health. Amen. But Ephraim and Menashe taught us, no matter where you are, don't be despair. Don't be in despair. Just know we grew up in Egypt and where we didn't have schools and we didn't have shuls and we didn't have a Jewish community and we didn't have an environment that's enriched with Judaism. 
We didn't have the luxuries of an HEB and a Randall's and a Kroger to buy our kosher food. And yet we preserved our Judaism. Yaakov is saying forever the Jewish people will be blessed just like you. Just like you. I think it's such a, a, a warm encouragement. Also, why did Yaakov put Ephraim before Menashe? Because Yehoshua, the future leader of the Jewish people, was going to come from the tribe of Ephraim. And therefore, he took precedence over his older brother, Menashe. Now, Yaakov's final parting words are a little bit interesting. My grandfather dedicates many, many pages, many, many hours to explain what type of blessing. To most of them, Yaakov's giving a blessing. You should be like this and you should be like that. Not to Shimon and Levi. And seemingly to Shimon and Levi, all he does is criticize and reprimand them. You guys use force, brute force. You used it in Shechem. You used trickery. What type of blessing is that? That's anything but a blessing. My grandfather says such an amazing lesson. True criticism, meaning one that comes from the heart, one that comes with love, one that comes because of concern for a fellow is the greatest blessing you can give them. When you really care about somebody and you tell them something that can help change them and make them a better person, that is the greatest blessing you can bestow upon them. And what Yaakov was teaching us here is that Shimon and Levi had something they needed to correct. Let me just give you an an example. Okay, so someone gives you a blessing. Oh, you should be blessed with such good health. And you say, Amen. Does that mean that health is going to come your way? No, not necessarily. But if someone comes to you and says, you know, criticism, I think you should change your diet and you should eat healthier food so that you can live a healthy life. So which one can you actually apply immediately, instantly, for results? The second one, what are you criticizing what I'm eating? Yeah, I care about you. I love you. The sages tell us, the sages tell us in Tractate Yavamot, we say this many, many times, just like there's a mitzvah to reprimand and criticize someone who's, go- who's going to listen, there's a mitzvah not to reprimand someone who will not accept or heed your message. Just like there's a mitzvah to reprimand someone who will listen, there's a mitzvah not to say a word if they won't listen. Our sages, our sages tell us, how do we know? How do we know if they're going to listen? Well, you have to know them better. Someone who you know, someone who your your spouse, your children that you know very well, you know exactly what you can say and what you can't say. You know exactly how to say so they accept it and how not to say and they won't accept it. A person needs to learn sensitivity to other people. It's not always simple. It's not always easy. You know what? Sometimes deferring to a later time. It's not the right time. Right now they're in a delicate time. So that, that what the Torah is teaching us here, what the Talmud is saying, get to know people better before you start, start walking around criticizing people. You walk over, you know, well, you should uh, this, and you know you should that, and you're like, you know, you should do like this and like that, and it's like, really? That's not going to be effective. On the contrary, people are not going to accept it lovingly. People are going to be hurt by it. 
or people might dislike you because of it. Therefore, there's a clear warning in the Talmud. Only criticize someone out of love when they're ready to accept. When are they ready to accept? Get to know them better and you'll find out. You don't know them well enough? You have no business criticizing them. Another very important lesson here from this week's parsha is that Yaakov is buried in Hebron, in the cave of Machpelah, but so is Esav's head. We mentioned this a few weeks ago, that Esav's head is buried in the cave of Machpelah. Why his head? Why his head? Only his head, not his body. Because his head was always thinking good thoughts, but his body was always doing bad deeds. His head was thinking about how to honor his father. His head was thinking about great things that he can do as who was supposed to be one of the four patriarchs because he disavowed of his responsibilities. He was removed as one of the patriarchs. And we know that Leah was predestined to be his wife. And she cried her eyes out. She says, I don't want to marry Esau, this wicked guy. Now, his head, in his mind, he was a spiritual guy. He was lofty. He was doing great things. But his body was too attracted to the materialistic elements of the world and went in a negative route. Now, how did his head come off, his body? Say, just tell us, when Yaakov was being buried, his children, his grandchildren, everyone was there. The son of Dan was Chushim, who was deaf. And Chushim is seeing a commotion because Esav is there and Esav is getting involved and he thought there was an argument going on. He pulls out his sword and chops off Esav's head and Esav's head rolls right into the cave of Machpelah. And they saw that as a prophecy, as a sign from heaven that his head was supposed to be with the patriarchs and matriarchs, with Adam and Eve in the cave of Machpelah, but his body wasn't warranting such a high level. Now the Bnei Yisrael, the Jewish people, and the Egyptians mourn Yaakov, and the famine returns. We have to understand that the righteous sustain the nation. When the righteous are around, they protect the nation. They bring blessing to the world. Yaakov was such a righteous person. The entire famine stopped because of Yaakov. And when Yaakov passed away, there was no longer that heavenly spiritual protection and the famine was returned. The brothers ask for forgiveness from Yosef and he reassures them. And I think that's such a beautiful uh, reassurance that he gives his brothers. Don't worry, my brothers. I'm not going to harm you. And then when when Yosef dies after being a ruler for 54 years in the land of Egypt. It is a time of obvious you know, tragedy that befalls the Jewish people because as we'll see in next week's Torah portion in the beginning of the book of Exodus, it's suddenly there's a new king in town. There's a new sheriff. And this new king doesn't know Yosef. And he's like, Yosef who? Never heard of him. No idea. And many times we have people that we put our trust in. It could be the the vice president of the company who likes me and they're going to give me my raise and I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. And suddenly they get fired and there's a new vice president who doesn't know who you are and really doesn't have any favor for you and doesn't think that you deserve anything 
And we're like, oh, we're all in distraught. We need to always put our trust in Hashem. And Yosef is an example that wherever he was, he always was connecting with the heavens. He was connecting with God. Hashem should bless us that we should take the lessons of the entire book of Genesis, the holy book of Genesis. You know, people say, I once I heard this quote recently, the first 10, 12 portions of the Torah is why we are Jewish, and then the next four books is why we're not Jewish. You know, it's like, because then we have all the commandments. We have one commandment after another commandment. And I think it's such a grave error that people make. The first 12 is not only telling us, quote, stories of our ancestors. It's not just stories of our ancestors. It's telling us how to conduct our lives properly, how to build a relationship with God. But we need things that are concrete, like every mitzvah that we perform that we're going to see in the book of Exodus. We're going to see mitzvah after mitzvah after mitzvah. These mitzvahs are like a flower that a husband buys for his wife. It's a representation of the love, of the affection that's there. When Tommy goes and buys flowers, when any man goes to buy flowers for his wife, doesn't just say, hey, just give me any flowers. I don't care. I don't care. Just any flowers, fine. No. He looks for the most beautiful flowers. Why? Because the beauty of those flowers represents his relationship. Every mitzvah that we perform is representing our relationship with Hashem. Judaism is not a religion. It's a relationship. We don't just conduct acts because this is what our theology teaches us. We do it because this is an expression of love to the Almighty. Hashem should bless us that we should learn from the messages of the book of Genesis, of the book of Bereshis, from Adam and Eve and Noah and his children and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the tribes and Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel and Leah and all of the matriarchs to learn what it means to build a beautiful relationship with Hashem. Hashem should bless us, that we should always feel that connection with joy, with happiness, and fulfillment. Amen. Thank you, and mazel tov. Chazak, chazak, v'nit chazek.